Let's do some vocal exercises. Yeah. Unique New York. <laughs> nice. Good job. Unique. <laughs> what, oh, what was that one that I put on Insta? Oh, when we went to the distillery, I was like, I love scotch. Scotchy, scotch, scotch. Is that a doctor's? <laughs> no, it's from oh. Anchorman. Oh. So is Unique New York. Unique. Unique New York. New York. Oh, boy, that's a hard one for that you. That is. <laughs> I don't know why. I can do a proper cup of coffee from a copper coffee pot. Nope. <laughs> I can't. And then there was another one. Oh, there's a singing exercise one. Or it's, I'm not going to sing, but a big black bug bit a big black bear and the big black bear blood blood. Ew. <laughs> also, that just sounded like you were going bling, 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 bling. <laughs> well, obviously, I'm not very articulate. <laughs> obviously. Oh, that's okay. Which makes me the perfect person to host a podcast. Ta-da! Which is what we're doing now. That's us. We are That Broad's Got Moxie. do 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 I'm Kiana. I'm Cassie. And we're here. We're here. Again. Again. Just give everybody a little quick heads up. Behind the scenes. Behind the scenes scoop. We recorded, but Kiana sounded like she was in a tin can. And uh, so... Due to the fact that I wasn't in a tin can. No. And that was just a choice that I made. <laughs> <laughs> she is actually a tuna. <laughs> Call me tuna. Because I'm in a tin can. Call uh, me peaches. I'm peaches now. You no. Know, oh my gosh. <laughs> peaches would be devastated. Well, if he really wanted to commit, could be in a tin can. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, yeah. But that being said, this is our second time recording these stories. Yes. So if if we're a little less shocked, if we if we feel a little more rehearsed, that's because, because we we're are bad at acting. <laughs> we're gonna fake it till we make it, though. Yes. So. And honestly, I don't have a great memory, so I'm probably going to still be surprised by some of what you said. Yeah, I'm sure. Probably. Maybe. Now that you know who I'm talking about, I'm just going to jump right in. Yeah. Okay. To which, another behind the scenes look, I secretly knew who you were doing because I accidentally... That's true! (laughs) I was copying, pasting, copying, and then pasting something on Danny's computer, but then I forgot a copy, so then I just pasted... And what I pasted was Cassie's My story. My entire story. <laughs> so I did know who she was doing prior. Yeah. I mean, she knew the name, but she didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know. Her. Oh, yeah. I and thought- last time we had this discussion, we talked to... I, so I'm doing Diane Fossey. Mm-hmm. And... I thought it was the choreographer. Bob Fossey. No, no relation. Mm-hmm. Also, Bob. Bob. Is a, not abroad. She is. He is. <laughs> <laughs> he sure isn't. He was a choreographer, and mm-hmm. Diane is not. Diane is. She is. Uh, I don't know, girl. <laughs> just gonna, she's abroad with Moxie. Okay, okay, here we go. Diane Fossey. She was born in San Francisco, California, on January sixteenth, nineteen thirty-two. At age six, she began horseback riding lessons, and then in high school, earned a letter on the riding team. Athletic. (laughs) Incredibly. Have you ever ridden a horse? Yeah. The first horse I ever rode, his name was Tapioca. (laughs) That's adorable. That's a really fond memory. One of the very first, like, official dates that 
Danny and I, like, really went on, like, went, pulled out all the stops, not yeah. just, like, dinner and a movie or whatever. We went up to Mount Hood and we rode horses. Oh, my God. It was really cute. <laughs> that it is was so cute. It was, it was gross and adorable. Zeth, take me on a horse. Zeth better get his <laughs> shit together. <laughs> I want to ride a horse. That's right. She was an excellent student and was extremely interested in animals from a very young age. So she graduates high school and then she enrolled at Marin Business College. She's very heavily influenced by her stepfather, who is also a, f- a finance guy and in business. Okay. But after working on a ranch in Montana for one summer, she decided to follow her heart and return to school as a pre veterinary student at the University of California. Okay. She found chemistry and physics very difficult. Who, who doesn't? doesn't? <laughs> We are the same person. (laughs) (laughs) And so instead, uh, she turned her focus to a degree in occupational therapy at San Jose State College. And then she graduated from there in 1954. So after graduating from college, Diane interned at various hospitals in California working with tuberculosis patients. Good old consumption. Giving them lots of fresh air. (laughs) Is TB and consumption the same thing? Yeah. Huh. Huh. Dropping knowledge on your ass. Mm. Okay. So then she moved to Louisville, Kentucky, and she worked as a director of the occupational therapy department at Cozair Crippled Children's Hospital. Which is probably not called that anymore. That's right. We talked about that. (laughs) Definitely not called that anymore. So a friend of hers had just gotten back from a trip to Africa and showed Diane a bunch of photos and told her, you know, all of her fun stories. And Diane was like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. So that's, that was her next, like, big step in her life. Yeah. So she used up all her savings, plus she took out a bank loan. And in September of 1963, she flew to Kenya. And so, side note... Kenya is where Danny's bestie, Colleen, mm-hmm. who came to the UK with us, yeah, and her, you know, betrothed Steve, mm-hmm. their honeymoon oh. is going to be in Kenya. Oh. Which is very exciting. That is cool. They're going to go safari it up. She was telling me all about it, and I'm really excited for them. They're going to have a really beautiful time. Did they take out a bank loan? I mean, I don't think so. <laughs> She's been saving up her air miles for like 15 years so that they can fly first class, though. And she is oh, stoked. Yeah. Oh, damn. <laughs> Got a first class yeah. bitch over there. Oh, she is. Yeah. She's like, I've been waiting for this my whole life. <laughs> so it's going to be real fun. Ooh. So uh, the trip to Africa uh, started in Kenya. And then she also visited Tanzania, Congo, and Zimbabwe. She hired a British hunter named John Alexander, who served as her guide. And then bas- the, the main event of this whole trip was Mount McKinnow in the Congo. And that... <laughs> Could you yes. hear that in the audio? <laughs> For everybody <laughs> who doesn't know, that was my cat. One of them in the other or room. both of them. They're running laps. <laughs> They're doing their daily workouts. They're real fit. And they <laughs> terrified Kiana. Their names are Nugget and Iggy. 
That's right. My my sweet fur babies. In my I'll post nightmare. a picture of them <laughs> in Kiana's nightmare. <laughs> That's true. We were just sitting on the couch and Nugget jumped up on the couch and I didn't see him. All I heard was Kiana go, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And I looked over and I was like, what the fuck are you saying excuse me for? And the cat was next to her. <laughs> I was talking to the cat to be. <laughs> yes, yes. Not to me. She's talking to the cat for yeah. so he would move along. Any he never does. Yeah. Cassie and Danny know when I'm around the cat because I go. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what happens out loud. Doesn't scare the cat. He really just goes for it. That's just that's just what I sound like when I'm afraid. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's it's a fun time, guys. It's a good time. Where am I? Okay, Mount McKenna, in the Congo. It's the main event. So there was an American zoologist named Dr. George Schaller who had done this big pioneering study of the mountain gorillas. He was the first person to conduct this, you know, a field study of the gorillas. And it's very much like she was like, this is what I'm also trying to do and was very much following in his footsteps. And so his research led to what would become Diane Fossey's life work. Let's see. In Diane... In Diane. <laughs> in October, Diane met up with the Roots. Mm. Not the band. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, their names were Joan and Alan, and they were a couple of nature and wildlife photographers. So, basically, they took her up into the forest mm-hmm. to, to search for these gorillas. When they did come upon a group of gorillas, Diane was able to observe and photograph them, and... Basically, she was like, yep, this is what I'm going to do. This is the coolest thing ever. She was enthralled. Enthralled. Thank you. (laughs) I was like, there's a word for it. (laughs) So she describes in her book, Gorillas in the Mist, which Mm -hmm. was published in 1983. She said, it was their individuality combined with the shyness of their behavior that remained the most captivating impression of this first encounter with the greatest of the great apes. I left Kabara with reluctance, but with never a doubt that I would somehow return to learn more about the gorillas of the misted mountains. So she's enthralled. She's like, I want to do this for the rest of my life. So eventually she ran out of money and to pay off her bank loan. So she moved back to Kentucky and started working again to pay that off and get ready to go back. Yeah. So in the spring of 1966, a man named Dr. Lewis Leakey, who she had briefly met in Africa and had actually broken her leg, no, broke not her leg, broke her ankle at an excavation site that he was working on. She she broke her ankle she at broke... an excavation site that Lewis Leakey was on. Yes. The way you said it, it sounded like he had broke her ankle. <laughs> And I just want to make that clear. Thank you. No, he did not break her ankle. She was, she was traipsing around, fell into an excavation dig, broke her ankle. And then she was like, well, this could potentially ruin my trip, but we will soldier on. Mm -hmm. So he's going to be in Louis in Louisville to do a lecture and a book signing. And so Diane showed up, showed him a bunch of her photographs and articles she'd written about her time in the mountains. And Dr. Leakey, was like, you know, 
we could potentially make this thing happen and we can have you lead a year-long field study. Mm -hmm. She was like, oh my gosh, yes, sign me up. Dream come true. Dream come true. This is what I want to do. And so he goes, okay, well, you know, you can. We'll make this happen. But first, you have to get your appendix taken out. And without question, she, like, goes... Gets his fucking taken care of. Mm -hmm. And then she comes back. She's like, hey, I got my appendix out. And he was like, wait, you did that? For real? Fucking. That was just a suggestion. (laughs) Like, I was just wanted to see how how involved and, like, ready to do this you were. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot that that happened. (laughs) And then you said his name. Mm -hmm. And then I remember. You're like, fucking leaky. (laughs) The, the like, anger that washed over me. Well, and, okay, so first time we... A ripple of rage. we talked about this, Kiana had this, came up... What was the story again that you came up with? Like... Oh, like, yeah. yeah. He... <laughs> so my theory mm-hmm. is that he got his appendix removed. Yeah. And they called him, no appendix, leaky. That's right. <laughs> and it made him really insecure. Mm-hmm. And so he was like, well, I'm... Somebody else needs to get their appendix removed to make me feel better. That's and right. so he just clowned this this lovely lady into getting her appendix removed. Yep. Just and boop. I'm still questioning that doctor. I am too. It's what 1960 sketch what 66 was a was a weird time. I wonder if I could just go into a hospital. And, and you can't. Like, also, I just listened to an episode of Unladylike mm-hmm. and they talked about how hard it is for women to get tubal ligation. And get their tubes tied. Mm. Oh, and it's how so hard. Doctors are like, no, you're too young. No, mm-hmm. we won't do that. Blah blah blah. So, I mean, easier to apparently get your appendix taken out than it is to do a little switcheroo on them tubes. I mean, uh, an appendix are, isn't a reproductive system. Right? Are so. we surprised? No, we're not. They probably let us remove every organ except <laughs> for the women right? could be you just can't get a ribs taken out, but. <laughs> Just, you gotta be walking around with those, with them ovaries. Alabama's like, uterus. keep the uterus. Mm-hmm. Take out the lungs. You don't need that liver. No. You don't need that gallbladder. Kidneys Does anybody not really need a gallbladder? <laughs> I don't have one. We're fine with that. Oh, really? It. Yeah. I don't even know what it does. Nothing, apparently. It does, I mean, it, it holds stuff. If I can, I'm gonna go to the doctor and get that removed. <laughs> It's a bad time. I I could talk about that for a long time because it was it was the worst eight hours of my life. Where was I? Okay. He so, he clowned her into getting her appendix her. removed. So sans appendix. <laughs> she uh, waited for about eight months to secure all the funding for this study. And during that time, Diane read all of Dr. Scheller's previous guerrilla research and taught herself Swahili. Dope. Super dope. In December of 1906, Diane was again on her way to Africa. She arrived in Nairobi, which is in Kenya, mm-hmm. gathered provisions, and set off for the Congo in an old canvas-topped Land Rover named Lily. Hmm. How nice. Right? On the way to what would be, it was called Kabara Meadow. On the way there, she stopped at the Gombe Stream Research Center and met Jane Goodall, obser- observed her interactions with, with chimps. the chimpanzees, and talked to her and asked her a bunch of questions about her research and how she, how she initially kind of you know 
it put herself in their lives and how she interacts with them, which I think is really cool. Women empowering women and kind of, you know, mm-hmm. t- really kind of took her under her wing and was like, let me tell you how this worked. Don't get attacked. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. <clears throat> So, when Diane finally got to the Cabarro Meadow, is set high up in the Virungas Mountains. So, she basically had to park Lily, her mm-hmm. land rover, at the bottom of the mountain. Mm-hmm. Had to hike up the mountain to Cabarro Meadow. And here, she set up, she had a 7 by 10 foot tent, which served as her bedroom, bath, office, and her clothes drying area. Which we talked about earlier is a futile endeavor <laughs> in the wet rainforest. <laughs> oh, yes. We <laughs> explain everybody why it just sounded like so, a doofus. This is a tip and trick for your whole life. Tell me, if you don't know how to pronounce a word, mm-hmm. say it in a in a character voice. Okay. So that it sounds like you're doing it on purpose, but they mm-hmm. get the picture of what the word is. Ah. You don't look like a fool. You just look funny. Yeah. Oh. So we don't. We didn't know if it was solid. What was the two? Well, I couldn't decide. Futile or futile. Or futile. Which either one I think works. Yeah. But to circumvent any embarrassment that we might have. Yeah. We decided to say futile. Futile. (laughs) Futile endeavor. Futile endeavor. (laughs) And now we just sound like even bigger doofuses. (laughs) That's okay. So anyway, so she gets up. You know, she gets up to her camp area. Once, Only once a month, she would hike back down the mountain, make a two-hour drive to the village of Kikumba to buy supplies. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the time, she was up in the mountains by herself. Very scary. She would have a guide occasionally, mm-hmm. but they didn't, they didn't stay there always. Yeah. I mean, they probably were just checking in to make yeah. sure she was still alive. Accurate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So this is another quote from, from her book. The Kabara groups taught me much regarding gorilla behavior. From them, I learned to accept the animals on their own terms and never to push them beyond the varying levels of tolerance they were willing to give. That was a very long sentence. Continuing quote. <laughs> Any observer <laughs> is an intruder in the domain of a wild animal and must remember that the rights of that animal supersede human interests yes accurate yeah always approach wild animals with much caution yeah. knowing that you are, are entering an their truth exactly that's why i don't go in the ocean that's fair because people get eaten by sharks and then they get upset and it's they like don't get eaten by sharks they get bitten by sharks excuse me that's true because <laughs> they don't eat us because they think we're gross yeah but we get, people get bitten by sharks and then mm-hmm. go, oh, there's a shark's fault. It's like, yeah, because you're in the fucking ocean and you look like a seal flopping around. <laughs> so it's, what do you expect? It's always, have you seen the video? Oh, which zoo was it? A lady went past the barrier at the zoo to mm-hmm. get a picture of like a jaguar or some kind of <gasps> yeah. wild cat. Mm-hmm. And then she got attacked. Yeah. Because don't cross the barrier. That's what they're fucking there for. And then she tried to blame the animal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do remember that. Yeah. Harambe! Harambe! Exactly. Rip, rip Harambe. Yeah. Bring that meme back. <laughs> exactly. That's like... Yeah. That's the thing. You There's... 
they're a wild animal, whether they're in the actual wild mm-hmm. or they're in a zoo. They only have certain amount of human contact, if any human contact. Yeah. There are safety precautions set there for a reason. Diane Fossey went into the wild, mm-hmm. into a pack of gorillas. Yeah. And I've read the book and I've seen the movie. It was very fucking scary. Because yeah. they're humongous animals. Yeah. And it's like, if you're going to put yourself in that position, A, you need to understand the potential danger dangers of it. Mm-hmm. But you also need to go into it with the utmost respect of like, I am entering their... The lion's den. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you look like you've been ready to say that. I know. I was... All day. <laughs> The lion's den. You you started talking. And I was like, oh, this is gonna be so fucking good. <laughs> lion's den. It's a it's the thing that we say, and mm-hmm. it's an animal. Exactly. Yeah. So that was th- that's all of this. Okay. So when Diane began observing the gorillas, at first they would just book it out of there. Mm-hmm. They'd flee into the trees. You know, as soon as she walked up. So over time. She kind of discovered a couple things. First of all, if she crouched mm-hmm. and knuckle walked mm-hmm. like a gorilla instead of standing upright, mm-hmm. they were less anxious about having her around. Over time, she gained their acceptance a little bit, and she would put the gorillas at ease by imitating their kind of regular activities. So she would, you know, scratch and she would do grooming habits. Mm-hmm. She would often take celery out and just kind of lay in the grass and munch on it like they did with roots and oh. and like tree bark and grass and stuff. Yeah. And then she would also copy their, quote, contentment vocalizations. So like their happy grunts mm-hmm. and other good noises she would yeah she would do that <laughs> exactly so she they were like oh she's just a weird looking one of us mm. kind of thing <laughs> <laughs> so through her observations she began to identify the individuals that made up each group and don't know if you know but gorillas have individual nose prints mm-hmm. So they all look slightly different. And so she would sketch the gorillas and take detailed notes and, you know, drawings of their nose prints and could slowly come to, like, recognize, you know, and assigned names to the individuals in the group. Yeah. So she learned much from their behavior and kept very detailed records of their daily encounters. And this... And the last time we tried to record was when I tried to tell Kiana a joke and she shut my shit down. (laughs) So instead, we're going to try this again and she's going to pretend to not know the answer. Because I've been convinced for several years that I made up this joke. And she went, "Mm, no, my dentist told me that. Oh, your doctor told you that and then stabbed her in the arm. Okay, Kiana. He was a bad doctor. He's a bad doctor. Why do gorillas have such big nostrils? Why? Because they have big fingers. <laughs> I'm telling you, I've told that joke to so many people thinking that I was real clever and came up with it by myself. It's a good joke. That's it's, it's a fucking funny joke. It's a good joke. It's not over told. It's accurate. 
Is it? Yeah. Have you ever seen a gorilla's nostrils? Yeah. They're huge. But is it because... It's not because they... It's not because of that, but... I mean... Okay. Hold <laughs> well, on, I'm going to shut your shit down again. No! So it's not accurate. <laughs> Just fucking stepping on everything I got today. My name is Kiana Renee Henry, and I cannot let people live She is a happy fun <laughs> sucker. Fun in the room? I'm going to suck it out. I'm a leech. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> okay. Where was I? Making fucking gross noises. On July 9th, 1967, Diane and her fucking 25-pound pack. Mm. We also talked about that. Don't carry heavy backpacks. Oh, yeah. It's bad for your back, and they're real heavy. Yeah. And she climbed up and down this mountain all the time with a big-ass backpack. Don't do that. Don't do it. Get a fanny pack. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. What the hell you need to be carrying so much anyway? So, that afternoon, she returned to her camp to find armed soldiers waiting to escort her and her guide down the mountain to safety. So much for safety, because she then spent two weeks <laughs> in Rumangabo, which is in... The Congo. In the Congo. Okay. That's, Wait. Yes. Or Rwanda. It, no, it's in the Congo. Okay. It's it's in Zaire, which, okay. is, which now is now the Congo. Yeah. Okay. So, she was there for two weeks under military guard. After two weeks, she paid, she bribed two guards into letting her drive to Kisoro, Rwanda. She was like, oh, I have to go fill out papers for my truck and my driver's license and stuff. And they were like, mm, sure you are. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so, bribed them, took her car. When she arrived in Kisoro, she was interrogated and warned not to return to Zaire, see the Democratic Republic of Congo. Yeah. Because of all of the political unrest that was happening. It was a big mess. Mm-hmm. And so she decided to continue her work on the Rwandan side of the Virunga Mountains. That means she had to start over, basically. Damn. Like like us. Yes, exactly. Oh, just like us. <laughs> so, yeah. So she's got to start over on the Rwandan side of the mountains. Diane met a Belgian woman named Aliette de Monk. She had grown up in Zaire, read Congo, mm-hmm. at an early age. She's been there her, basically her whole life. And they became fast friends. And Aliette was the one who helped Diane find a new site for her camp and kind of helped her get her, you know, get her feet on the ground. Mm -hmm. So she named this new place Karasoki and Diane faced some new challenges at Karasoki. Her new guides did not speak Swahili. Rough. Uh, I don't remember what language they spoke, but basically she just had to interact with them with like mimes and hand gestures mm-hmm. and nonverbal conversations. And she had to start over with a new group of gorillas, which was difficult because she had made so much progress Yeah, with the group on, on the Congo side. Yeah, and she just had to give it up. Mm-hmm. And leave everything behind, which was a big bummer. Oh. So there's a photographer named Bob Campbell who worked for National Geographic. And uh, he... Came to He came to Rwanda and took a bunch of photos of Diane and 
and the gorillas and observed what mm-hmm. she was doing in her interactions and stuff. And basically it his his photos and you know article and stuff about her launched her work into the public eye and it opened people's eyes to the gentle beauty of gorillas. Cuz until then people didn't know much about them. Mm-hmm. They were just these big powerful scary animals. They were King Kong. Yeah. And that was pretty much it. Yeah. So this was this was like showing everybody no they're more than that. They're actually really gentle, docile creatures. Mm-hmm. But they're very protective, you know. Yeah. They live in family groups, etc. They're not monsters. They're not monsters. So Diane basically her whole time doing this, she never felt like she was adequate as far as, you know, scientific and being smart enough as far as academic qualifications go. Mm-hmm. So she enrolled in the Department of Animal Behavior at Darwin College in Cambridge in 1970. Between 1970 and 1974, she traveled between Cambridge and Africa. And she studied under Dr. Robert Hindy, who had also been Jane Goodall's supervisor. So, again, very much just kind of following in the same mm-hmm. path as far as research goes, mm-hmm. but slightly different animals and uh, sl- a, just a couple years later. Yeah. And then in 1974, uh, she completed her PhD. When Diane was at Karasoki doing her research. She fought both poachers and encroachment by herds of cattle through some unorthodox methods. So she would wear masks that she made to scare poachers. She made burning snares. She spray-painted the cattle <laughs> to discourage herders from bringing them up into the mountains. Mm-hmm. And on occasionally, she would have, like, actual face-to-face confrontations with poachers that she encountered. Yeah. Pretty dangerous people yeah. to be getting involved with. They have weapons. They Lots of them. Big ones. Over the course of her research, Diane established herself as a true friend of the mountain gorilla. However, there was one gorilla that she formed a particularly close bond with. His name was Digit. And he is named Digit because he had a damaged finger on his right hand, which is really cute. cute. He was about uh, he was about five years old, and she first encountered him in 1967. So basically, he didn't have any. There were no like other little gorillas around mm-hmm. in his age group. Yeah, his um, generation. His gener exactly, and so he was really drawn to her. He was very curious little gorilla mm-hmm. trying to figure out what she was all about and she was over the moon about him like they really really bonded but tragically on December 31st 1977 Digit was killed by poachers Aww. he was a hero though because he died helping defend his group mm-hmm. and a lot of his group escaped safely yeah because he, they because they got him instead. Yeah, Aww. which is very sad. Yeah, um, he was stabbed multiple times, and yeah. then they took his head and hands. Aww. Do what? 
I just I just always imagine poaching being shooting. Yeah, you you would think so. But to stab an animal in time. Right a lot of times it just I can't yeah. yeah. I mean stabbing up stabbing up like person to person stabbing is yeah. so it's such a close encounter. Yeah. It's very it's personal. Pers- yeah. I think maybe the goal was to shoot mm-hmm. and it just didn't end up that way. Yeah. But yeah. So That's just wild to me. Yeah. So they took his head and hands because they made a lot of fucking money off of it mm. because there were people who wanted live specimens. Mm-hmm. And also, like I told you earlier, I've seen a photo of a gorilla hand ashtray. Yeah, that's... It was real big in the 80s, and I don't know why, and it's fucking gross. It's sick. Mm-hmm. It really is. Because it's, it's very creepy. It's just an oversized It's an human oversized hand. human hand. You f- they're fingernails. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they have... Yuck. They have similar palm creases, Ugh. and it's... Yeah, it's super gross and upsetting, and it's from fucking bullshit. Gross trend. Gross trend. So, unfortunately, there were a couple more deaths in that particular group. The dominant silverback, who was named Uncle Bert, (laughs) he was killed. And then, eventually, that group, which was group four, Mm -hmm. disbanded. Like, they all kind of went their separate ways. And then, it was then that Diane Fossey declared war on the poachers. (laughs) So, she really took a stance and led this battle to protect these animals. Mm-hmm. So Digit had been part of the famous photo shoot with Bob Campbell. And as a result, he was kind of the unofficial, official representative of mountain gorillas as a whole. He was like photos of him and Diane were on posters and in like travel pamphlets all over the world. Yeah. And after much internal debate, Diane used her celebrity and his celebrity Mm -hmm. and his tragic death to gain attention and support for guerrilla conservation. She established the Digit Fund, which would raise money for her conservation and to fund anti-poaching initiatives. Mm -hmm. And then the Digit Fund was later renamed the Diane Fossey Guerrilla Fund International. Yeah. And we talked about this Earlier when we recorded, but Ellen DeGeneres is a big animal fan. And so Danny is fucking on the ball. Yeah, I'll just say that real quick. So for her 60th birthday, Portia, her wife, mm-hmm. gave her a really great birthday present. So this is what it says. And this is a quote from Ellen. For my 60th birthday, Portia surprised me with the most incredible birthday gift I've ever received. A campus with my name on it at the Diane Fossey Gorilla Fund. The campus will help continue Diane's work to protect and study endangered mountain gorillas. Gorillas are amazing animals. I found out that gorillas and humans share 98% of the same DNA. But the thing that's most amazing about gorillas is how compassionate they are. And here's the sad part. They're one of the most endangered animals in the world. Yeah. Which is very true. And I just, we thought that was lovely. Yeah. Especially that Diane's legacy is now still living on. Exactly. Exactly. 30, 33? Yeah. 33 years 
you know, after she died. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's very much a thing. And yeah. it's, her legacy is living on, which is beautiful. So, let's see. In 1980, Diane, in, I that sounded like a question. In 1980, <laughs> Diane moved to Ithaca, New York, and became a visiting associate professor at Cornell University. Mm-hmm. She used this time to focus on writing her book, Gorillas in the Mist. Like I said, that was published in 1983, and it's, account- it's an account of her years in the rainforest with the gorillas. And then Sigourney Weaver who we love, mm-hmm. played Diane Fossey in the film version. And I don't remember when that came out, but I think it was the late 80s as well. I, th- I want to say 89, maybe. I'm going to say 90. Yeah. Just to be different. I'm going to say 92. You want to prices right this? I'm going to say 93. Oh, shit. We're not supposed to be going up. We're supposed to be lowballing it, though. 91. <laughs> <laughs> what year? Oh, shit. Damn it. I went the wrong way. Yeah. Oh, it was 88. 88. That didn't get picked up. (laughs) Let's see. So it's the fall in the fall of 1985. Okay. Diane had gone back to Rwanda, back to her camp. And then so a few weeks before her 54th birthday, she was murdered. Her body was found in her cabin. On the morning of December 27th, 1985. Oh. She had been struck twice on the head and face with a machete. Yeah. Yeah. Like a very, again, with a a big knife, very personal, Mm -hmm. very up close. Mm -hmm. Not, you know, it's, yeah, somebody was angry and out to do damage. Yeah. There was evidence of forced entry, but no signs that robbery had been the motive. So there's lots of theories about Diane's murder, but they, it, she's never, nobody's ever been brought to justice. It's, yeah. it's never been resolved. Yeah. You know, was it poachers? Was it a militia? Was it because of all of the political conflict that was happening? Nobody knows. But yeah, they were upset. So, she was laid to rest in the graveyard behind her cabin at Karasoki in mm-hmm. Rwanda, among other, you know, gorillas that had passed. And she's right next to her beloved Digit, Aww. which I think is really sweet. Yeah, that's really nice. I'll tell you my sources and then say one more thing. So, I got my sources from gorillafund.org. Uh, from her Wikipedia page, the book Gorillas in the Mist by Diane Fossey, and then an article called The Fatal Obsession of Diane Fossey by Alex Shumatoff, mm-hmm. and it was from the September 1986 edition of Vanity Fair. And that article is really interesting because it talks about basically how much Diane didn't like people. Yeah. And so that's why she spent all of her time in the middle of nowhere with a bunch of gorillas who couldn't talk, but she was very comfortable and at peace there. And that's why she was laid to rest there. Yeah. And why she was so successful doing what she was doing. Exactly. Exactly. Also, last thing. 
I want to, I'm going to post on Instagram because I'm very proud of it. It's my baby. When I was going to school for special effects makeup, our last semester, we were supposed to make, uh, build an animatronic. And so he didn't actually turn into an animatronic. He's just, he's just a silicone like bust that I made, but I sculpted and, you know, molded and punched hair into like a, what essentially is like a slightly bigger baby gorilla head. Mm -hmm. It looks really good. Thank you. It's really, it's really cute. I put the most work of probably anything I've ever done. And so like my last semester at school, I spent months looking at pictures of gorillas and watching videos about them and reading about them. And my buddy Rick, who you're going to meet in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Actually, when this comes out, it'll be like last week. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but wherever in the time-space continuum, you're going to yeah. meet Rick. And he actually sculpted a big, oh, like a, a silverback a, gorilla head. A papa? A big one, yeah. <laughs> papa so. <laughs> Papa Gorilla. Yeah, Uncle Bert. And so we spent time at the zoo talking to, like, the gorilla lady there and asking us a bunch of questions. Excuse me. Asking her a bunch of questions. And I had, like, just the previous semester had worked on Tarzan with Mm. Pittsburgh Musical Theater. And they, the whole cast, Mm -hmm. spent a lot of time at the zoo watching their behaviors and seeing how they move. Yeah. So that when they were on stage playing... The, the family of gorillas, they had a better understanding of, like, what they were doing and why. That's really and, cool. Yeah, it was super cool. It was really, really interesting to watch them mimic behaviors that we were watching in wild animals. Yeah. So it was it was really, really cool. I very much enjoyed it. That is really Gorillas cool. are beautiful. Yeah. They're fascinating animals. They are. So that's my story. That was very nice. Thank you. I like it. I like it, too. I liked it the second time. <laughs> the second time I did that with, uh, maybe we should rehearse these because that was yeah. like, boom. Let's I, start doing two every time. Maybe I just, maybe I just need to read these out loud to myself, <laughs> like in the bathroom so that I know what the fuck I'm talking maybe, about. Maybe we should prep before we record. Oh, God, that takes so much effort though. Yeah. Look, I got a house to clean. I had a, got a full-time I, job. I told, I yeah, and I told you earlier, I was like, I get my shit together once a year <laughs> <laughs> when my mother comes to visit, and uh, today be the day. <laughs> <sighs> okay, who are, you t- who are you talking about today? You tell me. Yes. So, we are staying in Africa. Oh, yeah, that's right. We're just going to do a time hop. Time hop. How many centuries? <laughs> we have lost okay. the ability to count. So just two. Wait, I thought you said this was the 1600s. This is the 16th century. 16th century. Okay, so that means 1700s. 1500s. 1500s. We go backwards. And That's you right. were the 80s, which is the 20th century. So, 400. For 400. Oh, for Pete's sake. We're going back 400 years. What okay. math did I just do? In <laughs> I have no idea. I think you heard 80s and went 1800s. Okay. That's honest. Honestly. Yeah. We don't know. <laughs> 20 years. <laughs> Two decades. Easy peasy. Listen. Okay. I'm not a math lady. Mm-mm. Sure aren't. 
It's I'm okay, just a lady who likes history, history, and politics. That's right. Oh, and you're good at them because it all goes over my head and under my butt. So quit. What? <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard the um, addendum of under my butt. Oh, really? Uh-uh. Yeah, like it threw me so much for a loop that it went a full circle. <laughs> I'm going to start saying that. Perfect. It's like saying she fell ass over tea kettle. Don't know what that means, but it's one of my favorite things to say. Really? It's like Uh -uh. when somebody just completely eats it. Like they went ass over tea kettle. Oh. Mm. I just eat shit. (laughs) That's when somebody eats shit. It's when they've fallen. Yeah. And they can't get up. They can't get up like a turtle on its back. Oh. That's sad. (laughs) (laughs) Anywho. Anyway. Today I am covering... Queen Anna Nzinga. Yeah, you are. Or Anna de Souza Nzinga Mbande. But I'm just going to be calling her Queen Nzinga from now on. Queen Nzinga. So my sources, I watched two videos on a YouTube channel called Extra Credits. That's right. About Queen Nzinga. And then I read her entry on the African Feminist Forum and also on the World Changing Women's website. Gorgeous. Okay. So we're throwing it back. 16th century Central Africa, Africa to the capital of the Kingdom of Ndongo, which is now modern-day Angola. That's right, because I was like, I didn't know that was a country. <laughs> <laughs> what if it's not? Like, like, uh, like what form- if I- former Soviet Union? <laughs> no, Yugoslavia. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> modern-day Yugoslavia. Modern day. Jesus. <laughs> uh. Okay. We might very well have that kind of situation, though. But I, I, I don't think I don't think I do. It is a country. Okay. Would you put money on that? How much? Are you asking know. for? I don't know. <laughs> How much are you asking for? Let's do this. Let's make this a spicy little moment. On, on I mean, a- I believe you. <laughs> no, I feel like you don't. I feel like you don't believe. <laughs> there is questionable. I've never heard of it before, but I've heard of it. Really? Oh, Danny's giving us yes. So you owe me $20? I just can't say anything about... We have it on rec- recording? No, you we don't. It. You're full of shit. I just said money. I never said how much money. A hundred? How many money? How many monies? How many monies? <laughs> so now off the country, back onto the lady. <laughs> she was born into a royal family in 1581, and they ruled over the Mbandu tribe as the Angolas. So the country got its name... Because when the colonizers came over, they confused Angola, which is the royal family title, uh-huh. with the tribe's name, and then they started calling it Angola. That's and then right. that's where the okay. country comes from. Perfect. She got her name because her umbilical cord was wrapped around her neck when she was born, and Nzinga roughly translate, translates to to twist or turn. Mm-mm. In her culture, though, the wrapped cord was not something to really fret about. Mm-hmm. I mean, if if the child died, I mean, in rip, general, it's not great. Yeah, but but if it lived, it was a sign that the child would be a proud, haughty, wise, and powerful person. Yeah. And after her birth, a wise woman told her mother that Nzinga would be queen one day, even though she was not directly in line to the throne, and also. Even in the face that, like, they never had a woman ruling over them mm-hmm. before. It had only been men previously. Yeah. According to her recollections later in life, because of this premonition, she was greatly favored by her father, 
who allowed her to witness as he governed his kingdom. And he even carried her into war with him. Oh, that's right. In his 25-pound backpack. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Once she got over 25 pounds, she had to... She had to be a check bag. Yeah. (laughs) Pazinga, bitches. She would, was given this opportunity from her father over her siblings. So she had two sisters and a brother. And he was pissed. <laughs> he was pissed. <laughs> and given the opportunity, she rose to the occasion of it and took her father's lessons to heart. She became a warrior dressed in men's clothing and was considered to be the best politician in the country. Mm, yeah. Hot damn. Yes. Her father's favor towards her angered her brother, though. He was mm-hmm. pissed. But he was actually next in line for the throne. Yeah. But he was like, oh, stupid girl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to be carried into battle. <laughs> Where's my backpack? Papa, carry me. <laughs> That's a direct quote. <laughs> Her brother, whose name I did not write down. <laughs> Even though they didn't really get along because of the rivalry, they were said to have cooperated enough under their father's rule to get stuff done. So they were very efficient together. But once he became ruler after her father's death, after their father's death, this changed drastically. Hmm. In his contempt for his sister, he killed her and her... No, he didn't kill her. (laughs) (laughs) He did not kill her or we would be talking about a different situation. That's the end of the story. (laughs) The end. (laughs) He killed her son. Ah, yes. Mm. Mm. And then sterilized her. That's right. So she could not have any Which more kids. Which is fucked up. Yeah. Don't. Don't. Don't fucking do that. Hands off my vagina. hmm So he did this, killing her son and sterilizing her, to ensure that she would have no child to claim rights to the throne. Uh, that would, like, result in a coup and he would lose power. You know, all that stuff that people in power think about. Mm-hmm. He also temporarily stripped her of any power to rule, even though she was the best politician in the land. Mm -hmm. So it was, like, a bad decision on his part. Yeah, he's dumb. He's an idiot. Mm -hmm. And it also pissed her off royally, and she decided at that moment to wait and, like, bide her time before she could seek revenge. That's right. Time passes, and her brother comes to her and begs for help. He had suffered several defeats from the Portuguese Empire, which were expanding during this period, to gain power and resources for the Atlantic slave trade. And by resources... Yep. We mean people. Yep. They were kidnapping human people with lives and then sending them off... Forcing them into slave labor. Yeah. All all across the Atlantic. Mm -hmm. Real bullshit. And in 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 some of the articles I had read, they referred to to the slaves as resources. As resources. But we must remember, they were people. They were people. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> and Nzinga agreed to aid him at this point to keep her people from being enslaved, but she also used this opportunity as a pushing off point to undermine her dumb, dumb brother. Because he's a punk bitch. Yeah. That's right. She was sent to negotiate a treaty with the Portuguese because she was the only person who could speak it at the time in her family. <laughs> Which, like, how are you going to rule? Right? (laughs) How are you going to be king and you can't even speak the language that these people who are trying to take all of our shit are? Actually. (laughs) (laughs) I mean. (laughs) That happened a lot. (laughs) It sure did. 
Um, sure I'm did. going to put where we are going to publicly backtrack um, open mouth insert foot. But what we can say is that mm-hmm. she was really smart and a tactical politician for learning her enemy's language. That's right. Keep your keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So she's speaking Portuguese. She gets to the meeting. And she just charms the pants off of them. The meeting took place in 1622, and Nzinga surprised the delegates, who were, quote, stunned by her self-assurance. Prior to meeting her, they had just dealt with her brother, who they deemed sort of a dope and not any, not a real threat to their mm-hmm. empire. They knew she, she would be different going into this meeting because of her killer first impression. Mm. Mm. What happened, you ask? Tell um, me. During the setup for negotiations between Nzinga and the Portuguese governor, they give everyone a chair to sit at besides her Mm -hmm. they only provided her with a mat on the floor to sit on which in the umbundu tribe and also like uh, everywhere yeah it's super disrespectful yeah like oh everybody gets a chair except you yeah you can't sit with us (laughs) (laughs) is literally what happens the og mean girls Mm -hmm. the portuguese fuckers But she would not be seen as a subordinate. So she arrived, looked at the mat, looked at the governor, looked around the room, and then ordered one of her servants to go on to their hands and knees. <laughs> and then she used that servant as a chair. <laughs> oh. oh, God. I can, I'm picturing it in my head right now. And it is fucking... She just demurely sits down and is like... Shall we begin? Boy? Shall we begin in Portuguese? <laughs> And they went, oh, shit. Yeah. So they were flabbergasted by this fucking power move and also by her confidence and intellect during the negotiations that they ended the treaty on equal terms rather than ending with Nzinga's land being demoted to vassal status. Oh, shit. They yeah. was shook. Big fucking deal. Mm-hmm. So not only does she do well at these negotiations, she then meets with anyone who requests her presence and befriends politicians' wives and converts to Catholicism. Mm. Question mark behind actually converting at this point in her life. Exactly. Or maybe just using it for right now as a... a, Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm like you. Totally Catholic. This her befriending all the wives and also converting to Catholicism makes the Portuguese powers just fall in love with her even more and they see her as an equal to them which is shitty because it shouldn't take assimilation for you to respect another person amen but twas what it was at the time Mm -hmm. so she returns home after these meetings and then just goes after her brother She's accusing him, mm-hmm. accusing him of being an inept leader and just a huge fucking dummy. Mm-hmm. After this haranguing, he soon dies. What a good word. Haranguing. <laughs> haranguing. <laughs> um, he soon dies under mysterious circumstances. Mm. Did she kill him? Probably. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also believed that he completed suicide because he felt so much shame mm. after his sister came back and was like, look what I just did. You're dumb. You're fucking welcome. You weren't able to do this? Mm Mm-hmm. Either way, he's dead. And now she is queen. Uh Uh-huh. And she wanted to make sure that she stayed queen. Mm. And she got her revenge. Because remember, he killed her son. 
That's, oh, yeah. Mm. Okay, I'm ready. So, <laughs> her brother had a son mm-hmm. that could potentially claim rights to the throne. Her nephew? Okay. Yes. He lived with a mercenary clan called the Imbangala. Okay. So, she knew this, mm-hmm. went to the leader of the mercenary clan, mm-hmm. and started courting him. Ooh. He was... Hello, sir. He soon fell victim to her charm. <laughs> and her, now close to the Imbangala tribe, finds her nephew. Uh-huh. And then just kills him. And then throws him off of a cliff. Fucking straight up murders his ass. Straight murder. Oof. And when she threw him off the cliff, she declared that she had finally gotten revenge for her son's murder. I mean, all right. Yeah. Revenge. Sweet. Also, now she gets her throne. <laughs> exactly. Without any issues. Yeah. Nobody's fucking coming mind. for it. Yeah. Yeah. But, as we like to say here at That Broad's Got Moxie, murder, bad. Murder, bad. Yeah. Don't murder. Try not to. Don't do it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's my fucking two cents. Try not to murder. Please. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so, as queen... The Portuguese approached her, and they were like, we're friends, right? Right? We're buddies. Yeah. Be our vassal now, because now you don't have to answer to anybody, Mm -hmm. because you only have to answer to us. And she was like, that doesn't sound great, so I'm not gonna. Yeah. Good for her. Yeah. Hold your ground. Knowing that something would probably come from her defiance... She sent people into neighboring areas that had previously been her enemies and convinced them to become her allies against the Portuguese. Mm. So she's rounding up the Northmen and the Dothrakis and the Unsullied, Mm. bringing them all together. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. (laughs) That's context. That's going to be old when this goes. It's ending tonight. We got to finish. We got to finish recording. I had a show to watch. Oh my God. Okay. (laughs) And so. Her neighbors were already under the colonial power. They were vassals. And uh, the Portuguese would often have issues of slaves that they had captured uh from these vassals running into her land, which Mm -hmm. was not a vassal. So the Portuguese had no power over her, really. So they once... They became allies against the Portuguese. When the slaves would run over to her land, they would stay free. Mm. And when the por- the Portuguese kind of found out that this was happening and demanded that all the runaway slaves from the the allying countries be returned to where they were, mm-hmm. she would just be like, I don't have any slaves. What are you talking about? I don't... What do you mean? I only have <laughs> free men on my land. Yeah, keep... Mm-hmm. But they knew she was lying and they were also now afraid of her. Because her maneuvering with others began to loosen the Portuguese stronghold in the area. Mm. Um, scared, they began a smear campaign against her, claiming that she had no right to rule because she was, quote, in my own words, a dumb, dumb lady that had, like, periods and boobs. <laughs> <laughs> what a good, oh, what a good quote. I'm going to put that on a flowery background, and it's going to be brilliant. <laughs> Perfect. Um, So, knowing what was coming, because they began the smear campaign, she was like, I don't want to die. 
Mm-mm. And she took her loyal followers and ran away, biding her time to come back and cause chaos. Later. Mm. So in her absence, they installed a puppet leader that was just the mouthpiece for the Portuguese. And she was like, I don't like this, so I'm going to, to now ally myself with the Dutch, who is also fighting for power in the African continent. Ah, yes. The enemy, the, an enemy of my enemy is my friend. Mm-hmm. I'm a Dutch. I'm part Dutch. Are you proud of what you did in Africa? <laughs> Wow. <laughs> no. <laughs> I just Sorry. came for the Stroop waffles. <laughs> I'm English, half English slash Irish. So, you know, the sun never set on my kingdom. Sure didn't. <laughs> I got, I got a, yeah, I, one side fucking with the other side and yeah. vice versa. No, not a, not a good, it's a lot of confusion. It's bad in my times. body. Enemy, enemy, my friend. Oh, okay. So together with the Dutch, they made their way back to the Umbandu land, and just was ruining. (laughs) Real quick for the audience, I just looked over at Danny, who's (laughs) like Ed Ed Bundy, but from the show. Oh, Al Al Bundy. Bundy. She's fucking Al Bundy in it. sweatpants have traveled down and her belly's just like poking out. I was like, what are you doing over there? <laughs> just real fucking chill. She's getting comfy. This is story time for Danny. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Carry on. Okay, so she's with the Dutch now and they're making their way back to the Umbandu land and are just ruining Portuguese things in their way. Mm-hmm. Uh, The king of Portugal heard about this and was like, no. (laughs) So he sent a small army to stop them. But then word got back that the small army was dead because she had killed them on her path back to Umbandu. Bye. You're in my way. Sorry about it. Yeah. But this pissed them off. So they sent an envoy of thousands. It was the biggest army that she had ever seen in her life. Uh, She lost this battle unfortunately, because she was really just out-resourced. They took all of her paperwork, uncovered her spy network, and secret treaties that she had made. They they also took her sister captive in this battle. And this pissed her off even more. Yeah. She was like, take my paperwork, don't take my sister. Right? She's all I fucking have left because I killed my brother. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I mean, I didn't kill my brother. (laughs) I killed his son. Not, I didn't kill I can't my be held responsible for any of that nonsense. <laughs> That's right. She then, changing tactics. She's like, I cannot beat them in an all-out battle. She then began a guerrilla war against the, the Portuguese with the help of the Congo and the Dutch. They were all doing well until the colony of Brazil sent troops over to help their fellow Portuguese people. Because Brazil at that time was, was Portuguese. By Portuguese. Yeah. It was, I don't even think it was called Brazil. No. I saw that on the Olympics. What? Brazil? Yeah. When they... (laughs) (laughs) Their their whole, like, their whole thing. Their, like, opening ceremonies. Oh. Brazilian soldiers came over. Came over and defeated her. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So the Dutch retreated, and without her greatest ally, Nzinga needed a new plan. So, not one to give up. She changed tactics again. Okay. 
No guerrilla warfare? No guerrilla warfare. No outright war. She knew that she needed to be tactical. So with her remaining troops, she sent them to areas and cut off where the Portuguese conducted their slave raids. Okay. So this hurt them economically. Mm -hmm. She then went to the Catholic missionaries in the area and teamed up with them. She was like, I'm Catholic, Mm. you're Catholic, come help me find... Yeah. Save me. Let's work together. Save me. me. Mm -hmm. At this point, it's not clear on whether she was actually down with Catholicism, but she needed them assisting her. And on the political and religious front, now she was allied with the Portuguese, who were also Catholic. Gotcha. Okay. So... Because they were both Catholic, the Portuguese offered a, a peace treaty with her kingdom and then released, also released her sister at this time. Mm-hmm. So her tactics had work, worked. Oh, good. She was smart. Got her sister persistent. back. In the treaty, it also acknowledged her as the rightful ruler, which was dope because originally they were like, lady, periods, boobs. She mm-hmm. cannot. She can't cannot rule. compute. No. <laughs> this does not work. With her power restored... She had one last foe to take on. <laughs> she went to the Imbangala leader, mm-hmm. who, they were the mercenary group that okay. had sheltered her nephew. Uh-huh. And was like, remember when you helped my brother, and also you helped the Portuguese because you guys are mercenaries, and you are loyal to money and not people. Yeah. And, like, they had fought in battle together a few times, the Imbangala and Nzinga. Oh, okay. But she was like, mm... I just, just, I don't like you. I'm not into it. I don't like you. Mm-hmm. So then she declared war with them in her 70s. She was old at this time. Shit. And she led the battle with them and then successfully got to the leader and cut off his head. Oh, shit. And then went to the Portuguese governor with head. Uh-huh. <laughs> head in hand. Head in hand. <laughs> dropped it and was like, I'm done now. And the governor was like, Excuse me? <laughs> um, okay. Did you just drop a fucking head on my floor? <laughs> um, okay. And she was like, ah, I must rest now. <laughs> okay. And then, so in the last years of her life, she probably was an actual Catholic at this point. Okay. She She's had- like, I've been pretending for long enough. I guess I'll yeah. really dive into this. I'll dabble. <laughs> um... <laughs> And she also started dressing in what Portuguese monarchs would usually wear. So she sort of, like, Mm. pushed off what her tribe would consider royal garb and took on the Portuguese wear. And so there's a lot of pictures of her with, like, actual, like, big fluffy gowns and, like, a crown. Oh. She basically lived her life like this in total peace until her death at approximately 81 years old. She died Catholic- Dressed in, uh, like, a floofy gown, and her deathbed was surrounded by the missionary advisors that she had come to value in the last eight years of her life. And she's still... Damn. Still celebrated today. So, after she died, uh-huh. the Angola did fall to col- colonial powers. Uh-huh. But she's still recognized today as, like, the one person who, who like, f- gave them stress and, like, fought Yeah, back. yeah. Yeah. I mean, she did it for damn near a century. Yeah. Of protecting protecting her kingdom and her people. Yeah. Jeez. That's nuts. Yeah. She's awesome. 
She is awesome. I love, I mean, and history is very much your thing. Mm-hmm. And you, when you tell me stories of these women back in the 13th century or the 16th century or, or even further back, it's, it, I'm like, in 2019, we're still struggling to make our own decisions about our bodies and yeah. fighting to have equality and taken seriously. Yeah. And these these ladies were fucking running the world. Yeah. Or, you Competently. Know, yeah. Doing what leaders should do. And not just, not just doing what a bunch of male advisors are saying, oh, we need to do this, we need to do this. I mean, maybe some of them did, mm-hmm. but she clearly was like, nope, I know what's right. I'm clearly the smartest person here. Yeah. I'm going to make these decisions and make shit happen on my own. Yeah. Good for her. Fuck yeah. Yes. Perfect. Oh, that was, that was great. Oh. (laughs) Okay. Danny just reminded me that we got an email. Oh, hello. And, oh, hello. (laughs) And and I just thought it was really funny, so I'm going to share it. So it's from our friend, Jim. Mm -hmm. Listener and and friend, Jim. Listener, friend, Jim. The subject is regarding the Dutch drive-by, <laughs> which was our last episode. and Not actually. Oh, shit. You're right. <laughs> Most, when we are in the time-space continuum, mm-hmm. when we are recording right now, it has most recently come out. So you can triangulate where we are on the continuum. Time spectrum. The time spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> and, and find us there. Hold on. I got to turn this back on. Put my finger on it. Okay. So all, all it's a very short email regarding the Dutch drive-by. And all it says is, book em, Danny, needs to be a thing now. And that is a hill I will die on. A hill of pants. <laughs> and it, it's such, uh, it's a gem. It's such a good email. Jim. It was very Do you funny. have a problem with my dresses? <laughs> Not as much as Tyler does. Yeah. Tyler wants uh, me to wear jumpsuits. But. He's, he's a friend and a and another listener, and yeah. he harasses Kiana on a daily basis. He pants checks me. <laughs> he jumpsuit checks me every day. He jumpsuit checks you. Well, you're gonna you're gonna wear that leopard, that leopard print one, I, and be like, can't. boom. <laughs> it's such a weird thing to wear to work. It's a little loud, but I like it's, it so yeah. much. I have a flamingo dress that I wear on own occasion. Have I seen that? I don't. You should have. I'm going to die on a hill of dresses. Mm-hmm. With jumpsuits mm-hmm. piled on top of you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll die on a hill of dresses wearing a jumpsuit. Ooh. While burning a pair of pants. <laughs> <laughs> Although, to be fair, since I've gotten my hair cut, I've worn pants three out of the five days you that have. I've gotten my hair. Which is wild. This, this is wild and exciting. I'm a new person. Do you wear shorts during the summer? Uh, sometimes. Sometimes, but mostly. I wear, like, I wore a pair of shorts the other day, and Levi thought it was a skirt. So that's the kind of shorts I wear. Like, big and floofy and, like, Oh, lacy. gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. I love that Levi was like, I like your skirt. And you're like, it's shorts. Well, it wasn't he liked my skirt. I had changed, like, four times in one day. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like me. <laughs> and Sage was the one commenting on it. Mm-hmm. And then Levi went, Oh, weren't you wearing a skirt earlier? 
And I was like, no, those were indoor shorts. <laughs> those were indoor shorts. <laughs> as opposed to outdoor shorts? Well, you can't expect me to wear pants in my own home. <laughs> That's where I'm supposed to be free. That's why I just don't wear pants at home. But I suppose you live with many more people that you can't just necessarily free ball it all the time. Four men. Yeah. Boy. Been there, done that. Yeah. Never again. (laughs) Yeah. I'm living it. It's okay. At least they're good guys. Yeah. So. No, they aren't. Solid. I just have to walk around with my underpants on in front of Danny, so. We are set. Whoa! <laughs> Danny got saucy. I have been called out. Uh, on that note, uh, rate, review, and subscribe. Yeah, to this podcast, please. That brought like Moxie. We every time we get a new review, we are very thrilled. Yes. So thank you to those who have reviewed us. We very much appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Tell us, tell us about it. Tell, tell us about us. Tell them to review us. Tell other people about us. Oh, gosh. My mouth. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't understand what you were saying there. You can also follow us on our social medias. Mm-hmm. And we are on Facebook and Instagram at That Broads Got Moxie. Mm-hmm. And on Twitter, it's just at Broads Got Moxie. Yes. Know that. Yes. And you want to be like jim and get your email read that's right on the podcast <laughs> please send us an email whether it be comment correction suggestion mm-hmm. advice anything fun stories yeah send it to us at our email address at that broad at gmail.com mm-hmm. is that it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm, bye right. bye music by sage krenning cover art by vinnie navarrete Produced and edited by Danielle Barsanti. Side effects of listening to this podcast may include excessive moxie, zero tolerance for the patriarchy, sass mouth, excessive sweating, tipsy tittering, desire to stick into the metaphorical man, fear of cats, empowering women, clammy hands and feet, the inability to do math, lack of patience for the bullshit, thirst for knowledge, questioning the system, cravings for bougie chicken, vodka, and justice, and in some cases can cause death on hills.